0: this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me on the show today is a fighter for social justice. Please help, help me welcome Chief Eric Echevarria. Chief, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. No, I'm glad to have you. Yeah. Look, you have uh, an interesting st- uh, story. You know, obviously, uh being the top cop for the city of Peoria is a position that uh a lot of Latinos never have the opportunity uh to achieve and you're in the, you know, the the 1 percentile or 2 percentile probably nationally of uh, Latinos that are or Hispanics that are in this position. But I want to learn about your journey. Um Kind of tell me about your childhood and where you grew up. And I want to hear kind of how you got to where you are today.
1: Absolutely. It's a, I, I, I think it's an interesting story sometimes because, you know, policing was never something that I, I thought of. Yeah. I didn't see anybody that looked like me on, on the police force uh, growing up as a kid. I don't come from a family with money, so I, I, I didn't live in, in the best neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, we, so I grew up in Elgin, Elgin, Illinois. Uh, it's a suburb off of Chicago. We're about 20, 25 minutes from uh, the O'Hare Airport, uh-huh. depending on what time you go. If, right. if you leave at the wrong time, it'll, it'll take you two-hour drive right, to get right. there. Right. Um, and so you know, my I tell people I was uh, I was made in Puerto Rico, but born here. So my mom was 17, my father was 19 when they came from Puerto Rico. Um, Mom was pregnant. My dad, as a young man, worked at the Drake Hotel uh, in uh, in Chicago. I stayed there all the time. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a few years back, they had an anniversary, and I was able to call the hotel, say, "Hey, my father worked there as a young man," and and they did a couple of special things for him, and we had him stay there. So it was it was really? nice. It was nice
0: for him to be able to go back and kind of see where he kind of started. Now, growing up with you know two young parents, uh, and as you stated, you didn't stay in the best uh, area. What was that like? What were the challenges that you faced as a as a youth? You know, I'm I'm very fortunate
1: that I have a, a very strong father mm-hmm. and mother, and they were both in my life uh, throughout. Uh, there were some challenges, I'm sure, uh, yeah. like any other uh, you know married couple and having kids at a young age. Uh, but my father uh, always show, instilled a, a strong work ethic in us, and always said, "Prove yourself by what you do, not not what." Uh, not you know kissing up to anybody, right. but just show your work. He was the guy that would always when we go on a trip, which was few and far between. But if we did, um, and we got on an airplane, he was the guy in a suit. Yeah, he was a guy in a suit. He was a he was a janitor at uh, at a hospital. Uh, my mom worked at McDonald's when I was young. My father would go in a suit. He says, people give you a little bit more respect, son, yeah. when you're when you're in a suit. Right. And so I can't imagine some of the things he went through as a young man that that he had to say that. Um, but my father was also a pastor. He was the pastor of the church that we grew up in. And so uh, I'm a pastor's kid, so they say we're the worst ones. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, he instilled some very strong values. My dad went to work. My mom uh, made sure that we had what we needed at home. Right. They had their roles. Uh, right. We see that nowadays it's a little bit different sometimes. You know, you, you need two people to work to survive oftentimes for a lot of people. But Father was strong, and in the neighborhood that we lived in, he was very strict. I could not ride my bike on the street. I could go down to one corner to the corner. Uh, took my bike away for the summer because it went out the driveway onto the street, and I turned around, and it was gone. Yeah. But I understand when I got a little bit older because some of the other kids that I grew up with uh, either ended up in jail, were in gangs, drug dealing, were right. dead, shot in wheelchairs. Um, As a kid, you don't realize what you're surrounded by because you're a kid, but he knew. And he right. knew that he needed to protect his family from
0: the things that were around us in those neighborhoods. Well, uh, where did you go to high school, and what you know did you play sports, or what was high school like?
1: Yeah, so I, I did not play any sports. I tried out for basketball, they didn't take me. <laughs> I guess you know they didn't want a Puerto Rican on a team. I, I don't know what it was. Puerto Rico just won, right? They won, uh, They beat the Dominican Republic. So to all the Dominicans watching, yes, we won. Yeah. But then we got beat by Mexico. So, um, I yeah. You know, I worked. I went to high school. I worked several jobs. I worked at a mall, at a, at a men's clothing store. I worked at a body shop. I worked at an auto glass place. So I just worked and went to school, and um, it, it that was really it. I, you know, I don't think my parents at the time really realized like that support that you needed to to go and do sports. It wasn't something my father did, it wasn't something my mother did. Um, And I think that's why I eventually, when I graduated from the Elgin High in 1993, I went into the Marine Corps. um, Because I knew I had to do something, and the example was, looking at my father, I had to support a family. I'm gonna have to support a family someday, so I have to leave this city and go do something. And I joined the Marine Corps in 1993, but I don't remember anybody ever really talking to me about college really? the, yeah. at the school. Nobody talked. I wasn't the kid that could go to college. The ones that didn't look like me had those opportunities. Really? But so what was the military
0: experience like?
1: It was phenomenal. It was a great experience. I joined the Marine Corps 93. I went to boot camp in MCRD. So I'm a Hollywood Marine. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I spent some time in Japan, I lived in Japan for a year. Uh, my oldest daughter was born at camp Lejeune, uh, North
0: Carolina. So she, she was born on a military base. There's a lot going on with that right now. Uh, yeah, this litigation about, yeah, the, the water contamination. Yeah. 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 It's like a thousand commercials a day on that. Yeah. So maybe that's what's wrong with me. The water (laughs) I drank of the
1: June. I'm not sure. Um, but, um, yeah, there's yeah, a million commercials for it, but I think it was prior to me. It, I think it was through 1987, right, right. something like that. And I was there uh, after 93. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they got it all cleaned up by the time I got there. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, the Marine Corps was a great experience, right? It continued to instill discipline, which I think just carries over to be able to navigate through the things I had to navigate through to get to where I'm at now, quite frankly. So when
0: did you make the decision that you want to be in law enforcement? So I got out the Marine Corps in
1: 1997. Um, I didn't leave there till the end of 98. Um, I got out July of 97 and 98, I I came back home. I came back to Elgin, Uh, I had a job, and right next door to where I worked was a Gold's Gym. Mm -hmm. And a couple buddies of mine, Uh, And uh, Enrique Santiago, um, who's still at the Elgin Police Department, and then I didn't know him then, but we we worked together all the way up the ranks. Adam Schussler with the Elgin Police Department, who's the deputy chief there now, were young officers there and said, you should apply to be a police officer. Never really thought about it before. They spoke to me. They recruited me. So I went and took the test. Yeah. Only test I ever taken for any police department. Uh, I showed up uh, to the city there was at least five, six hundred people there to take this test. And I'm looking around and I see other officers from other agencies in uniforms. I see officers from the police department, Elgin at the time, in uniform, talking to other people. I said, no way do I have a shot yeah. at getting this job. Just I don't know anybody. I didn't all the dynamics. Not too many people look like me. I said, mm, I don't know what the opportunity is going to be like. But I took the test. I took the test, and I was number five on this list, and I was off to the academy. They hired ten immediately, uh, and then another ten. Yeah, uh, and I was off to the academy as soon as I the process was done, off to the academy, and that's how the
0: story started. That's how the story started. So I know that we talked kind of before the show, and uh, like me, you know, growing up, uh, you know, we've had you know challenges just based on our uh, race. Uh, And so how did your experiences in life impact the way that you police? Well, um,
1: well, like I said, I I didn't see anybody that looked like me. And and I've always I've always worked under the pretense that I want to treat people the way I want you to treat my family, the way I want my family treated. Um, I walked into a police department at the time where all the black officers were suing the city. Yeah, Um, I had a family. Uh, at the time, and I had a child, and I had to navigate through this department. And I was the I was the homegrown guy yeah. that knew everybody in the community, the good and the bad. Um, and I didn't want to be associated. I didn't want somebody to say, "Oh, he's he's going to share information," or "He's a gang member," or "He's that." Right. Based on some of the things that you were seeing that were happening inside the agency at the time, and so I really just focused on what the job was and what we needed to do, and to really treat the community the way it deserves to be treated, fairly, equitably. Um, I was the voice that can speak for a community that often didn't have a voice. Um, Elgin has a high Latino population. Um, And, you know, I was able to bridge that gap for the Latino community and the black community, being of Africa, Africa uh, Afro-Latino descent, yeah. of Puerto Rican, um, you're able to really bridge that gap between law enforcement and the community. Which is important. Yeah, it's very important to be able to give them a voice, and not just a voice, but also an example that we need to maybe stop complaining sometimes and really be the catalyst for change by getting in there and being that change. And that was all I I always wanted to do and really always to stick to being my authentic self. I did not want to change. I didn't want to uh, compromise who I was and just really being authentic. Right.
0: When did you make the decision uh, that you wanted to uh, move up the ranks in, in law enforcement because obviously uh, there are a lot of people that entered law enforcement and many never make it to the, the level of chief, right? So uh, what was that what what made you make that decision and what was that journey like? You know it wasn't a early decision. I, I
1: don't think I ever thought I'd see myself in this position but I always uh, always say you, you don't got to get ready if you stay ready. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I began going back to school uh, I got my associates at Benedictine University, I went out and got my, my bachelor's at Northeastern Illinois University in Chicago, and then I got my master's through NIU in public administration. And I always wanted to be ready if that opportunity came up. Uh, I didn't want to lose the opportunity because I, I didn't prepare myself. And I never wanted the opportunity based on what I look like either. Yeah. Uh, and. To me, leadership is about serving, and so if, if, if serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you, yeah. is one of my models. And that's what I just did, and, and the opportunity came up, and I said, I'm gonna apply. Because some of the things that I seen that I didn't like, uh-huh. I, I, I seen leadership in places, and things that I saw, that I just didn't appreciate. I, I think, as a sergeant, that's the first line supervisor that, right. that in, in policing for us. And I seen things from sergeants and I'm like, okay, we're not setting the example for the officers. And you can't create an agency that's going to be equitable and treat our community, right, if we, as the leadership, don't set that example and that tone. Right. And I didn't see that oftentimes. And I said, I have to, I have to make my sphere of influence a little bit bigger. So I could influence others. And oftentimes it wasn't even an influence that you set the tone and set the example. One of the things I used to do is I always would walk into the police department and in the locker room, I'd sit there and polish my boots. Eric's boots were always gonna be the most shiniest. <laughs> Eric's uniform was always gonna be the crispiest. Yeah. And you weren't going to outwork me. I picked up, I took the sergeant's exam. I took one sergeant exam and I got promoted off the first sergeant exam I ever took. And I continued just to do the same thing, being an authentic, I'd walk in, and now when the officers saw me polishing my boots, they automatically knew, okay, we know what he likes. Right. All of a sudden, you see everybody else Delicier. doing the same thing. Right. And I was a sergeant who would stand at the back door and wait for the officers that we started with, whoever I started my team, was walking in at the end of the night and I'm checking them off. We start together, we end together to make sure that everybody was safe yeah. and holding people accountable right. to what they're doing and how they're treating the community. And then, again, time went on and I and I saw what, what lieutenants were doing that I did not appreciate. Those lieutenants or those other supervisors who were out the back door and out on the street on their way home before the officers were even in yeah. and not holding other people accountable and not creating a culture of, in their own shifts that, quite frankly, we need to have in policing. Policing has made a lot, a lot of mistakes nationally. I mean, we've seen the stories of what happened. Right. I mean, George Floyd's and we can go on and name many names. Policing has made mistakes, and it's on us to own those mistakes and say, okay, how do we change that narrative? How do we, how do we clean this up, and how do we make a, a path that we don't end up making the same errors again? Right. And again, that takes somebody to step up and do that. And I, I said, I volunteer for that. And I took a lieutenant's exam. So my first lieutenant's exam I took, I got promoted. Same story goes on for the next promotion. I, I seen what some commanders were doing in a police department. That's now you're part of the executive team. Yeah. And now the influence is even bigger. You oversee. Whole areas of departments, whether it's all of patrol, whether it's all of investigations, whether it's all of administration, and again, I wanted to just be—I wanted to have a bigger circle of influence and help change the culture in that okay. department. So I took one commander's interview, and I got promoted. And uh, that's that's twenty twenty years into my career. Yeah, and but during the,
0: that during that twenty year journey. Uh, were there anything uh, that you encountered, any situation that you encountered that impacted you uh, as, a, as a law oh, enforcement
1: absolutely. officer? Oh, I, uh, absolutely. I, numerous. I, one time I was standing in, in the police department, and this is just kind of an inside story. Yeah. And I'm talking with an African-American officer, friend of mine, inside a secure area of a police department. And I had a, a Caucasian lieutenant walk up to me when he was done talking to me and says, you need to watch who you talk to around here. And I looked at him like, I'm in a police department talking to another officer. And I knew then, and I said, I have to, I have to continue to step up. I have to be this change. Because if, if, if that was the mentality inside right. the agency, and, and it wasn't everybody, right? That's, you know, that's, right. that's a, a small percentage. But he was brave enough to say that to me. What is happening in the community outside these walls? Right. What is happening out here? Um, and I couldn't tolerate to see that. I wasn't going to tolerate that. Um, you know, my line was drawn in the sand. That, that, that's the kind of behavior I don't want to see outside of the walls or inside an agency. And I could tell you the amount of times that I stopped somebody and, and, and somebody told me, because people look, you're Latino, yeah. uh, you're illegal. Automatically. Wow. You're illegal. You don't belong in our country. You don't. I serve this country in the United States Marine Corps. And in the amount of time, somebody has said to me, you should be mowing my lawn when I've stopped them. Really? Yeah. Or uh, or, or a simple comment as in, well, you speak good English. Oh, man. Those are microaggressions, right? right, that we, we right. speak about. Well, it happens and it happens and it happens even when I'm in this uniform. Um, and I really wanted to show and I wanted to give an example to, to, to the kids in our community, the kids uh, and, and people of color that we can step up and we can be in these positions that really help influence communities and change that narrative that's out there that the, the, the police aren't here to serve
0: you. Right
1: and um, yeah, so there's numerous examples like that.
0: Wow. So what? So uh, as relate to community policing, I know you you talk often about having that connectivity uh, to the community. So what are some of the things you're doing to uh, really promote community policing within? Uh,
1: So from day one that I that I arrived here, what was most important to me was to get out in the community. I'm not the chief that sits behind four walls um, and you come see me or. Um, highs in in, in an office, I like to be out in the community. I'm the people's chief. That's what I want to call it. (laughs) So I like to be out there and I like like people seeing me outside of this and seeing that I'm a person, right? And see behind these stars and behind the shiny badge. And, And let's talk about real life issues, root cause issues, what is happening, and listen to the community and then say, okay, now how do we implement and correct some of the things that we're seeing. Because what we're seeing in law enforcement, right, is not, everything that is occurring is not all law enforcement work, not police officers don't need to be doing all the work. We're not going to hire our way out of crime. We're not going to uh, just by police responding. We have to have other things in place and other mechanisms in place. And that's the communication that we're having with the community is saying, let's hear you. What are your ideas? What are the things that you're seeing that we need to change? So for example, one of the things that I brought here is walk and talks. The first time I said, we're going to go out and walk in neighborhoods and just knock on the door and introduce ourselves and share some resources. I think yeah. officers were looking like, what are you asking us to do? I said, yeah, just trust me. Yeah, just trust me. The first time we went, we went into one of the most distressed areas in Peoria. And it was, I think it was life changing for some of these officers. The next thing I knew, they were buying groceries for families in the area. They helped a gentleman find a job and they have to actually help them get to work for about a month. And so that was the impact of that, just that one community engagement, if you will, yeah. that has just transcended and relationships have been built. And now we go out into different neighborhoods yeah. in the summer. And we have a schedule of we're going to just walk into the neighborhoods. We're just going to go. Yeah. Representatives from all parts of our department to go knock on doors and share resources and introduce ourselves. Right. And I'm part of that. And my command staff is part of that because I think the community needs to see that those that are at the top are invested. Yeah. Yep. We're not just sending people out there. I'm invested in this city right. and I'm going to be the face of that. Um, so so those we we implemented a, a tip line that I, quite frankly, think is a game changer. And I think all police agencies should have it. It's called TIF 411. People want to be able to share information, but they want to feel secure about giving information. Right. But oftentimes we want to ask more info and, and, and what's lost is you're able to share info but we can't communicate back with you. So how do we, how do we gain more information but still keep it anonymous? So TIF 411 provides a way for us to communicate back anonymously and that's been a game changer for us because the community also wants to see that cases are being closed, that we're finding resolution. Oftentimes the complaints are, and I'm sure you've heard this, is communities of color, the police aren't taking our stuff serious. Right. They're not closing our cases. They're not bringing resolution to the cases. Right. And it's often that it's people don't want to communicate. And oftentimes the communities of color don't want to communicate with the police. But we have to find a mechanism where we can. And I think we found that mechanism there. And, and it's been a game changer here for us. Uh, we have a neighborhood services unit where we have officers that live in homes that the city has purchased, and they live in the neighborhoods in these most distressed areas, yeah. and and that's something. Quite frankly, it was it's interesting how I ended up here. Like I told you earlier, not I never thought about being the police, yeah. let alone the chief of police. But many years ago, Peoria wanted to put a resident officer program in place. I ran a resident officer program in Elgin. Okay. And Elgin's had this resident officer program for many, many years. It's it's the model so, nationwide. So
0: for viewers, tell tell us what that program is yeah. and what it looks like. So
1: basically, it's a, it's the city buys a house, in in a in a distressed area of the city. We give the, that house. We let an officer live there. We give them a cell phone. We give them a car. They, they, they work directly in that area. They're not answering calls from patrol, but they're really engaging that community. They are that direct contact for those people in that community to implement change, to put in uh, youth programming in place, to deal with the graffiti, the neighborhood cleanups, and really empower the neighborhood to take ownership, yep. right? And so Elgin had this, and they came down, Peoria came down many years ago, and a young officer, Erica Chavarria. Showed them, showed Peoria how to put this model in place, and they did. And now I'm here many years later as the chief of police and well, we and that model is here.
0: Now how did you um uh, become chief? T- t- talk to me about that. So process. quite frankly, when all of the George Floyd stuff started to happen,
1: you started to see positions coming open in different areas all over the nation. Uh whether a chief was fired, or whether a chief made an appropriate comment, or whether a chief was just retiring because i don't want to work in this in this in policing any longer. You kind of started to see a mass exodus of law enforcement leaders yeah. um, that wasn 't the case here. I think in Peoria there was just a, a retirement at the time and Peoria decided that they were going to do a, a search for a chief, and I saw that. And Once you become an executive, just like anywhere else, you become uh, members to like PERF, the Police Executive Research Forum, or the International Association of Chiefs of Police, yeah. and you start getting information about openings all over the place. I, I still get them. Every day, You. Yeah. Somebody there's a, a, a an agency that needs a police chief. But Peoria really piqued my interest because... Peoria and Elgin always flip and flop in size, and which one's larger? Six and seven. Six yeah. and seven. Right now I believe we're the six largest, and Elgin seven, but that can change next year. And the demographics are very, very similar. So the 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 black and Hispanic are would switch. So there's a larger black community here, or there was a larger Hispanic community, in Elgin. Yeah. But the numbers are almost the same, just switched, right? Right. And there was things that were ha- are happening here that had happened in Elgin 20 years ago, and we were able to implement change and do things and, and get the buy-in of our community and really change the narrative there, reduce crime, improve uh, transparency and legitimacy with our community. And I thought to myself, I think I can do that in Peoria. I think I could take the skills and, and the knowledge I've, I've gained over the years, and and the ability to just walk into a neighborhood and engage with people, and my ability to communicate with just anybody. Yeah, um, I thought was an asset for me to be able to really walk in here and and, and implement those changes here, and um, went through a rigorous interview process. Uh, it was three hours about 30 people interviewing yep. uh, a panel of 10 a second panel of 10 and another panel of 10 was the initial And then it was it then it was boiled down to I think two or three candidates And then I had my final interview with the mayor and the city manager and two council members And again, it was a rigorous interview. They was they didn't shy away from asking anything. Really. and um, uh, You know Thank God I, I ended
0: up on the top and I was the choice that they, they thought was the best fit. For Chief, I'm, what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to get you to stick around and we're going to wrap this episode up yeah. and I'm going to bring you back for the next episode uh, and we'll continue this conversation. OK. Right. To my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.